This afternoon we are dealing with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and therefore we will read both from the Belgic Confession and the Heidelberg Catechism. Belgic Confession, Article 11. That's page 448 of the Book of Praise. The Holy Spirit, true and eternal God, we believe and confess also that the Holy Spirit from eternity proceeds from the Father and the Son, is neither made, created, nor begotten, but can only be said to proceed from both. In order, he is the third person of the Holy Trinity of one and the same essence, majesty, and glory with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God, as the Holy Scriptures teach us. Now we'll turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 20. It says 12 on the board, that's probably my mistake, but it's, it's Lord's Day 20, page 494. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. After the sermon, let's sing hymn 36, stanzas 1, 4, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as is abundantly clear by now, we are dealing with God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is true God, and he is a distinct person. We know that the Holy Trinity means that we have one God, and he is three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Since Pentecost, the early Christian church has accepted this at face value. The church believed that there's God the Father whose favor they forfeited by the fall into sin. They believed in God the Son, who, who restored God's favor to man by, by paying for our sins with his precious blood. And the church believed in God the Holy Spirit, who takes the blessings of salvation and applies them to us, God's elect people. The early church believed this. They baptized their children into the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They professed their faith in the triune God. This was simple fact. You cannot completely understand it, but you certainly can accept it and believe it. But along the way, by around 300 AD, something strange was happening in the church. Some theologians became confused and started to distort the teaching of the Holy Trinity. And in a certain way, you can understand that it's a complicated subject. Sometimes scripture seems confusing. We read that the Father created the world. No, no, the Son created the world. The Holy Spirit created the world. The Father raises the dead. The Son raises the dead. The Holy Spirit raises the dead. The Apostle Paul, when talking about how he received the gospel that he preached, he says in Galatians 1, I did not receive it from man, but I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 2, God revealed it to us by his spirit. 
things like that got some theologians thinking that maybe the Son and the Spirit are two different words for the same person. Or perhaps there's only one person, and that is the Father. Now, these are heresies. It's a complicated business, but people were not giving Scripture their full and fair due. We must recognize that if you start to go along this line, that you think the Son and the Spirit are the same person, then what are you going to do with the passage we read together where Jesus Christ said, I am leaving I will send you another counselor. What if there is no other counselor? What if there is no other person than the Father and the Son? And they are up in heaven. We have no Emmanuel. We have no God with us. And we of all people would be most miserable. That's why the Nicene Creed said as emphatically as it could, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. And then the Athanasian Creed, saying as clear as it possibly could, says of the Holy Spirit that he with the Father and the Son is uncreate, infinite, eternal, almighty, and equal in glory and majesty. It adds, the Holy Spirit is from the Father and the Son, not made, nor created, nor begotten, but proceeding. The Nicene Creed and Athanasian Creed had a huge impact on the early Christian church. Since that day onward, the church has accepted and believed we have one God who is three persons. Today, you have liberal theology, which is distorting it again. They're going back to the old teaching of Sibelius, which is a type of modalism that says there's one God. Sometimes he acts like a father, sometimes like a son, and sometimes like the Holy Spirit. That's a heresy. There's also the Jehovah's Witnesses who deny that that Jesus Christ is the eternal, natural Son of God. But for the rest, the church believes and teaches the Trinity. We will look this afternoon particularly at the person and work of God, the Holy Spirit. We summarize our sermon in this way. The Holy Spirit is true and eternal God. He proceeds from the Father and Son. He is equal to God, to the Father and the Son. In our first point, we are, are dealing with our confession that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. It's striking that the Apostles' Creed does not mention this. It's the earliest creed. But then the heresy started, so that's when the Nicene Creed, and particularly the Athanasian Creed, made very clear that the Holy Spirit is a person equal to the Father and Son and proceeds from them. This comes from what our Lord Jesus Christ said in John 15, at the very last verse. He said, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. That's where that expression proceeding from the Father and Son comes from. Jesus Christ says, I'll go to heaven, I will send you the Holy Spirit. And he also comes from the Father. So that's where we get the expression, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The question for us is, what does that mean? 
What does it mean to proceed? What does it mean that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son? To understand this, we have to understand something more about what the Trinity actually is. And any time, as Reformed people, if you want to study the Trinity and use your confessions, you go to the Belgian Confession, Articles 8 and 9. Absolutely amazing articles. It says there about the one true God, he is three persons, really, truly, and eternally distinct according to their incommunicable properties. Three persons distinct because they have incommunicable properties. What are those properties? What are those properties that each one has uniquely? The Belgian Confession says, The Father is the cause, origin, and beginning of all things visible and invisible. The Son is the Word, the wisdom, and the image of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the eternal power and might who proceeds from the Father and the Son. You see what's happening? Our confession states that the Father is the origin of all things. The Son is the word and the wisdom of the Father. And the Holy Spirit, he, he is that power and might who proceeds from the Father and the Son. We're not only touching here on amazing truths. We are getting a look into the inner personal and interconnectedness of the Father, Son, and Spirit. There is an order here. Father first, Son is second, Holy Spirit is the third. Our article states in Article 11 of the Belgian Confession, in order, he is the third person of the Trinity. Now, any catechism student worth his or her salt would say in catechism class while studying this, the moment you say that, you are saying there's no longer equality. If the Father is the first, Son second, Holy Spirit the third, then what you are saying is the Spirit is inferior to the Son, and the Spirit and Son are inferior to the Father. Well, it sounds that way, but you have to approach this very carefully, because we're not just talking generally here about God. We're talking about the interpersonal connection between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, they are equal, to the point that you would not even say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each one-third God. If you take the three-thirds, then you have one God. No, no. They are all fully God. It says in the New Testament that Jesus Christ, in him the full deity dwells. The Father is 100% God. And so is the Son. So is the Holy Spirit. They're not parts. Nor is there an order where you would say, well, the Father is 50%. Son, 30%, and Holy Spirit, 20%, and the three in different order and different measures add up to 100% God. No, they, they are equal, and they are eternal. But there is order, because whenever persons work together, someone has to take leadership. The Father is the origin of all things. He is the designer He is the planner. He has this great idea. The Son, who is the only begotten, who is the word and wisdom of God, he can take that that plan of the Father. He's like an architect that, that says, let's do this. This is what we will make. 
and the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, knowing the will of the Father, seeing what Jesus Christ the Son has accomplished, he is the one who can take all that and build it and make it. And that in no way makes the Holy Spirit inferior. In fact, this is breathtaking. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is that power and might of God proceeding from the Father and the Son. He makes things happen. He builds it. Everything that you see, everything that's visible and invisible, the Holy Spirit, he makes it. You may notice that in the Bible, certain prepositions are used in connection with God. All things are from him, through him, and in him. And that's a reference also to the Trinity. All things are from the Father. They are accomplished through the Son. And it is in the Holy Spirit that the finishing touches are applied. Now you say this sounds like pretty good theology, but it's very theoretical. And we would like a a sermon, something that we can take to heart. Brothers and sisters, unless you are willing to try to understand the Trinity as described to us in the Bible, you're going nowhere You will never appreciate the work of the Holy Spirit unless you understand him in relationship to the Father and the Son. But let's try to see now precisely what that means for us in our everyday lives that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. In John 15, Jesus Christ said to his disciples, I am leaving you. And they were so upset. And no wonder he had just said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. You come to the Father through me. By the way, I'm leaving. Wow, that's scary. In fact, we ourselves would be brokenhearted until we hear Jesus Christ say at the end of John 15, it is for, John, in John 16, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then at the, and the last line of John 15, he said, When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Now think about that very carefully, brothers and sisters. Who is God the Father to you? God the Father is the one who so loved the world that he gave his only son to be our Lord and our Savior. And who is God the Son? God the Son is our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us on the cross of Golgotha. But what if it stops there? If it stops there, brothers and sisters, you have nothing. If it stops there, then this whole world will fall fall into a, a, a deadly silence and say, so what? The Father loves me. The Son died for me. It's not enough. Because there are millions and billions of people in this world who need to hear about it. And who need the miracle of faith. And the ability to be born again. To become children of God. And that's the miracle of the Holy Spirit. The Father loved the world. The Son died for the world. Now proceeding from the Father who loved. And the Son who died proceeding from them is the Holy Spirit. He puts the the great finishing work. He does the building of the great work of redemption. What the Spirit does is no less important than the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Golgotha. 
Because he takes the Gospels and he spreads that Gospel through the whole world. And he touches people's hearts and lives so that there's a living faith by which they embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It is the Holy Spirit who brings the blood to, to sinners to wash away their sins. And he causes them to be born again. Born again as children of God who are the image of the living God that they may live to his praise in his glory. Peter told us that in his Pentecost sermon in Acts 2 when he said in verses 32 and 33, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. In other words, on the day of Pentecost, when our Lord Jesus Christ was in heaven already, the Father said to his Son, here is the Spirit I promised you. The Spirit says, I will go. And from the Father and the Son, the Spirit was poured down on Pentecost to reach us. To reach you, my brother, my sister. You would not believe. You would not be washed in the blood of Jesus except through the Holy Spirit. Who has sought you out and brought you the gospel. And worked faith in your hearts that you would have the blessings of Jesus Christ. He caused you to be born again. He lives with you. He is your Emmanuel, God with us. Causing us every day to to turn away from sin and live to the praise and glory of God. To make us be the bride of Jesus Christ. And to be ready for that day when Jesus Christ comes the second time to take us home. The Holy Spirit has proceeded from the Father and the Son to accomplish that great work of redemption, which is the Father's will and which our Lord Jesus Christ accomplished. That brings us to our our second point, that he is equal to the Father and the Son. We are dealing here, secondly, with the fact that the Holy Spirit is a true person and true God, following the order of the Belgic Confession. First of all, we understand he proceeds. Then we understand that he is of one and same essence, majesty, glory with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God, as the Holy Scriptures teach us. Now, something that the Reformed churches have been accused of for a number of years is that we have not given sufficient attention to the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's a legitimate accusation. We're always talking about the Father and about Jesus Christ, and that's, that's really good. But the Holy Spirit is so easily relegated to the sidelines because we don't really know him or understand him or know what to do about him. And you wonder, well, whose fault is that? Is it maybe the Scriptures? Is the Holy Spirit maybe described in the Bible in, 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 in more lukewarm terms, more to the side? You know, almost like angels. We all know how important angels are. And they come up several times in Scripture, always very important. But they're not in the limelight. They, they fade in the background and you don't hear about them for long portions of Scripture. Is maybe the Holy Spirit not that important in the Bible? Not true at all. He is mentioned almost 300 times in the New Testament. 
He is also mentioned time and again in the Old Testament. In fact, he's mentioned in the first two verses of the Bible where we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You see, the Father planned creation. The Son is the Word, the wisdom of God, who did that beautiful architectural work of designing this creation, but as the Holy Spirit was hovering there over the waters to make it all happen. In the Old Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit is that power of God. We read in the Psalms that he causes the grass to grow and the winds to blow. It is the Holy Spirit who, who, who equipped the craftsmen to, to build the temple as, as beautifully as they did. We read the Holy Spirit came on Moses, made him so powerful, such a powerful instrument of God. He came on the prophets so they could do miracles and they could deliver the word of God. We see, even in something like Psalm 139, David's intimate understanding that no matter where he is, God, the Holy Spirit, is always with him. And indeed, particularly in the New Testament, it becomes absolutely clear the Holy Spirit was sent to dwell in our hearts, to be our Emmanuel, to create faith, and to make it possible for us to die to sin and rise to the praise and glory of God. And something happens in the Bible. When you read about the Holy Spirit again and again, you realize it's, it's not a matter of how often the Holy Spirit is mentioned that counts, but that when the Holy Spirit is mentioned, it's always in relationship to people, to our world, our lives, and our salvation. The Spirit is the one, our Emmanuel, who comes to us to create in us, not, not just to, to shape us in the womb of our mother, but to shape us as the image of God and to be with us, to be with us every day of our lives, leading us on the pathways of righteousness. So indeed, if you understand scripture well, you will have an intimate awareness of the Holy Spirit as a person in your life. Now, our, our confessions emphasize that the Holy Spirit is a person. And in the history of the church and times of heresies, it has been denied that the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, are you sure that he's a person? For instance, can the Holy Spirit talk to you? Can you talk to him? Is it two persons interacting? Some have said he's not a person. He's just the power of God in action. Part of the problem is that in the New Testament, in Greek, like, like French, you have not just masculine words, but also feminine words. English language doesn't know this, but if you study French, some words start with le and others with la, masculine and feminine. In Greek, you have masculine words like father and son. You have feminine words like mother or daughter. And then you also have neuter words. Like, like the wind or, or the cloud. The Holy Spirit in Greek, pneuma achios, is a neuter word. It's a thing. So you would think that whenever the Holy Spirit is, is talked about, you're talking about a thing. 
But now our Lord Jesus Christ himself shows us very clearly how false that is. When he talks about the Holy Spirit, he said, for instance, in John 16, Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus is not using very good grammar. If you say pneuma achios, Holy Spirit in Greek, you should say it. It's a neuter word. When Jesus Christ speaks about the Holy Spirit, he says he, him. He may have a, a neuter word title, but he is a living person. Brothers and sisters, we believe in the Holy Spirit. I praise the Holy Spirit. I pray to God the Father, to God the Son. I pray to God the Holy Spirit. He is my Emmanuel. He is in me. I grieve him. He cries every time I sin. He is my teacher. He is my guide. He is my counselor. And he is my friend. The Holy Spirit is a somebody. He is a person who proceeds from the Father and the Son to be in me, to have a relationship with me, and to guide me to be the bride of Jesus Christ. We know he's a person. We also know that he is true God. Again, to give you an example, so that nobody here goes home saying, you know, I, I really wondered about the Holy Spirit. Is he God equal to the Father and the Son? Let me give you a couple of examples in Acts 5, you know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who tried to basically rip off the church. And then you have Peter, he said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart? You have lied to the Holy Spirit when you kept some of the money you received for the land. After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but you lied to God. So Peter makes very clear to Ananias, when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you lied to God. The Holy Spirit is true God. Another example is Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, David, who seems to be going through a, a tough time in his life, speaks about the tremendous comfort that God is always with him. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your, Holy, your, your right hand will hold me fast. So David says, the Holy Spirit is always with me. If I, on a morning, could catch that first ray of the morning, and it could miraculously shoot me across the sea, or if I could go down to the depths of the earth, or if I could take a rocket ship and blast to outer space, Holy Spirit is always with me. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. That's an attribute that belongs only to God. Brothers and sisters, who is the Holy Spirit? And what is he to you? The Holy Spirit is God, equal to the Father and the Son. He is 100% God. He is a person, someone I can, I can make him laugh, and I can make him cry. I can make him rejoice when I love the law of God. 
I can make him grieve when I, I fall into sin. But he is a person. He is God who has come to dwell with us, our Emmanuel, no longer in a temple. Not just our Lord Jesus Christ walking in a few places. But God, wherever you are in this world, God is Emmanuel with you in your heart. Your counselor, your advisor, your guide, your traveling guide to the whole world. And your friend. Not only have we a friend in Jesus, we have a friend in the Holy Spirit. Always with us. Guiding us on the pathways of righteousness until one day... When the trumpet sounds and our Lord Jesus Christ returns, the Spirit will transform our bodies to be glorious like the body of Jesus Christ and he will liberate us from every remaining vestige of sin so that the Spirit takes over our lives totally for eternity, living to the praise and the glory of God. Amen.